0: Across the city and South Cambridgeshire.
1: On FM, digital and your mobile.
2: Cambridge 105
3: Radio. Hi mate. How are you doing? I'm all right, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it was Christmas I was last year. Was it Christmas? Yeah, yeah.
4: We're feeling festive.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of good food here.
0: You've got jams and pickles and preserves and
2: meats and beer and all kinds of things.
1: Oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna have a feast now. God, Allah, Buddha, bless Mill Road. Mill Road is awesome.
2: You could taste chocolate forever,
4: like really good chocolate.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wonderful.
4: Gingerbread men of all
2: shapes and sizes.
3: Whoa, that's busy. Yeah, that, that <laughs> takes your head up. And the food is great, and the wine is obviously fantastic.
2: Doesn't that look lovely?
3: We had music all
5: day. I did pancakes all day.
6: Holly,
2: um, Tiny
6: Robins. At the end of the night, we all eat together with the staff. I love this place. It's- unique in cambridge
7: you've got people and you've got food and that's all you need and conversation springs forth
3: good afternoon and welcome to flavor with alan alder sue bailey and me matt bentman
5: today it's our last program before christmas so what else would we be talking about but christmas food and drink we hear from local people and local foodies and food producers about what
3: they like to eat at christmas
0: Naturally, that leads on to sprouts, and today, flavour proudly presents The Sprout, a history.
3: And continuing on the theme of sprouts, and why wouldn't you, local chef Rosie Sykes brings us some of her favourite sprout recipes.
5: Our Christmas theme runs to the Boxing Day meal too, a time when many of us enjoy some cold meats. So we speak with David Underwood of Orris & Sons about his newly produced hot sauces, which go well with cold meats, and hot meat, and lots of other things too.
0: But what to drink with our Christmas food? Tom Lewis, for so long flavours resident wine expert, is back with some tips on what to buy.
5: And that's not all. Our extensive news section in these Covid-cautious times brings you an almost complete list of local places where you can have a coffee and something to eat outside rather than running any pre-Christmas Kona 19 risks indoors. And we've lots of other news too, and our usual job section at the end. So, let's begin.
3: Yeah, and let's start with a bit of fun – we asked some visitors to Cambridge Market what they'll be having for Christmas dinner.
7: On Christmas Eve, we as the Danish people, we celebrate with duck and rice pudding. And the whole exciting thing about rice pudding is that we put an almond in there, and the one that wins the almond wins a marzipan pick. And this is a fight that's going on for years. We all fight and we all hide the almond in our mouth until everything is gone and then you let go and if you've got it or not. So it's a competition for adults and children. Uh, we'll be having the traditional turkey on the day with roast potatoes mashed potatoes and uh, several different veg. Christmas day we then have the big cold table but it's actually not cold we've got warm pâtés, we've got about four different types of herrings curry herrings, herring and Madeira sauce Rye bread, just made, you make your own rye bread, and of course, snaps. You can't have a Christmas lunch, So you have to have snaps with herrings, and with the cheese, and with the pate, and that's probably enough anyway. It's very good, it's proper snaps. Alcohol, it's very strong, it's 45 proof. You have three snaps and you, you feel good. But it's something that even old people are given when they have got a slight problem with their blood circulation. So my grandma, she had snaps every morning just to get her going. And she lived to she's 95. So wow. I can That's only cool. recommend it.
3: <laughs> Lobster cake. <laughs> So this is an unusual Christmas dinner that you have. Then. Yes,
6: lobster. we have lobsters and crab every year and king prawns. We like seafood. My wife is Thai, so we like to have seafood for our Christmas dinner rather than your traditional turkey or beef or lamb or anything like that that people have. We go to my brothers' and we have a big celebration there and his family's from Italy, his wife's Italian. Rather than having Christmas pudding, we have Italian log cake, you know as far dessert and perfitturas. That's, that's what we have.
3: <laughs> and here is what some foodie store holders at Cambridge Market will be having for their Christmas dinner. Oh. I'm hoping that my Christmas dinner is going to consist of turkey and all the trimmings.
4: Hello! As a Venezuelan, I will have for Christmas dinner ajacas, pork. A kind of salad that is made with potatoes and carrots and i will have a special bread that is made with ham inside cheese and we put oils uh, olive yes it's super tasty and it's from venezuela he's the cook actually so i am it's a traditional christmas dinner with all the trimmings but no Brussels sprouts. <laughs> No Brussels No, 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 no. Never been a fan. No, 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 no. no. Not even when my mum tried to break them up and pretend that they were cabbage.
3: <laughs> I think we have Yorkshire puddings at our Christmas dinner, even even if it's turkey. Yeah.
7: Funny enough, been Italian. I love my turkey. I love my turkey with gravy sauce. Yeah, with lots of broccoli and potatoes. That is my typical traditional Christmas dinner, even though I'm Italian. But I love turkey, you know. You do a
3: nice stuffing, don't
4: yeah, you? Yeah, I do um, sausage meat stuffing. With morello cherries and um, Apricot. apricots. And cranberries. Okay, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it's nice, that's very, very nice. nice. Of course, Yorkshire
7: Woods, yeah. yeah, every time, every time. All the things I like.
0: Ready, steady, yes. Yeah. Hello, my name is Nade, I have
4: run a Brazilian store. Yeah, what I have for Christmas is exactly what we have in England. Actually, turkey and the fish the next day, it's really nice. Fish the
3: next
0: day?
4: Yeah, we do, we do have fish, yeah. Called salt cod, bacalao, yeah. Guaranteed we'll have goose, but the thing we've got to have, of course, throughout Christmas day is, is champagne. From Cambridge Wine Merchants, we've got a really excellent premier crew, champagne it's a grower champagne it's our own one we, we're the only ones that bring it in england it's called champagne pierre bertrand premier crew and it's absolutely delicious 26.99 can't really go wrong full salesman mode i like yep. it yep <laughs> what i'm here
3: for
5: on to the first of our news breaks now at eddington now saturday up until two o'clock are steak and honor and Pib my fish Steak and Honours Other Van is at Trumpington Meadows by Sainsbury's, also until 2pm, at the Bank Micropub in Willingham from 5 till 8 tonight, and at Wild Sky Brewing in Linton, also from 5 till 8 tonight. Order online.
0: La Maison du Steak's Pulmy Sherry is at the Fox & Duck in Buntingford today, right now and until 10pm, walk-ups only and cash or card payments.
3: At Northstone now and until 2pm are Churros Bar and Plant to Pedal. And from 5 till 8 tonight, it's Pizza Mondo.
5: At Hobson Square in Clay Farm, Trumpington, right now is Bon Crepe and Coffee, that's until 3pm. And in Hobson Park today and tomorrow, Benissimo is trading from 10 till 3. Tonight at Thursday in Chesterton Road, it's Azahar. And tomorrow Pizza Mondo, there from five till nine pm. You can dine in or take away for dining at home at Thursday. To dine in, book via social media.
3: Tonight from four thirty until eight p.m. at Trumpington Meadows, it's Churro's Bar, and tomorrow, Sunday, from twelve till two thirty, also at Trumpington Meadows, it's Pimp My Fish. Gorilla Kitchen is at Food Park in Eddington on the twenty-third of December from five until eight PM for pre orders. Okay. Let's move on now to one of Sue's professional interests, food history. And she's been looking into the history of Brussels sprouts.
0: I absolutely love Brussels sprouts and one of my favourite things just before Christmas is going and buying Brussels sprouts on the stalk and then preparing them to go with all the other lovely Christmas vegetables and Christmas goose rather than turkey for our Christmas day meal. But some people absolutely detest these little green bundles of cabbaginess. That's because of their rather sulfurous cabbagey taste. But not all Brussels sprouts have to have this cabbagey sulfury taste. More modern varieties of Brussels sprouts have actually been bred to reduce this bitterness that they tend to have in them. There's also red Brussels sprouts that have been created. But let's have a little look at the history behind the Brussels sprout and then find out why is it that some people really don't like them. It's been cultivated for over two and a half thousand years. It's suggested that it was originally developed in northern Europe because it was carried there by the Romans. The Romans actually called these lovely little tender green buttons Bulata gemifera which translates as diamond makers because it was suggested that consumption of Brussels sprouts was rumoured to enhance a diner's mental agility. So in fact, Roman chefs imported them from the sea coasts of Western Europe where they actually grew wild. Finding out about it is a little bit confusing because it's suggested that they were first cultivated in the 13th century near to Brussels. The first written reference wasn't until 1587 from the Dutch botanist Rembertus Dodoneus, and he described the Brussels sprout as we now know it. And it was suggested that Brussels sprouts were being eaten at feasts, they weren't actually had for wedding feasts in the 15th century. When looking at the details of the history of the Brussels sprouts it suggests they actually didn't really become widely popular until the 17th century. The Netherlands found them rather more popular than the French and the English. The first actual printed reference in English to Brussels sprouts is in 1796 in the plain and easy introduction to gardening by Charles Marshall. So all Although we seem to think that this is a very traditional vegetable, they really only started to become particularly popular at Christmas time, thanks to the Victorians, to have with the Christmas turkey, because turkey was beginning to displace the Christmas goose. So Brussels sprouts are exceptionally popular and we eat more than any other nation in Europe. In the two weeks before Christmas, 25% of the whole year's sprout sales are actually made. We have enough land to cover the wrong side of 3,000 football pitches to grow Brussels sprouts in the UK. And if you lined all those sprouts up, they would stretch from London to Sydney. So we are really very fond of our Brussels sprouts. The heaviest recorded sprout was grown over 20 years ago and it weighed the wrong side of 8.2 kilograms. That's heavy. So what actually are Brussels sprouts? They are part of the cabbage family. They're the same plant species as cauliflower, kohlrabi, kale and broccoli. They have the problem of being a very bitter type of vegetable. Because they actually contain a high level of a sulphurous chemical called Glucosinates. Even the slightest bit of overcooking causes these chemicals to break down. Now, in fact, the glucosinates help protect the sprouts against pests, so they do perform a useful function. The problem is an awful lot of people do find sprouts quite bitter tasting. Innately, we're born to reject bitter foods because for every one plant or potential foodstuff in nature which is bitter and good for us, there's probably 50 which, in fact, are bitter and poisonous. Fortunately, new plant breeding techniques are used to remove the bitterness. Plant breeders now can produce range of Brussels sprouts that have a classic taste and some that are very super mild tasting. And there's over 110 different sprout varieties. Have you ever come across a red sprout? There's one called a rubine red and it has a much sweeter taste. It's in fact a red-purple coloured Brussels sprout, not your green sprout that most people are used to. It's got a very deep purple foliage and the sprouts are about the size of a walnut with a very nutty flavour for the sprouts. And they also keep their red colour when cooked. There's another one that's called Red Bull, which is another version of the rubine red. And it doesn't lose its colour when it's cooked either. This red Brussels sprout dates back to 1954, so it's in fact known as an heirloom variety. It was first grown for supermarkets 10 years ago in the Cambridgeshire area. Interesting thing is I haven't actually seen these red Brussels sprouts for sale, but I think I'm going to try and grow them myself because I think that would be really rather fun. So, if you can't get hold of a red Brussels sprout or one of the very mild-tasting sprouts, how should you cook a sprout to make it good for your Christmas Day meal, particularly if you've got some members of your family who are rather sensitive to the sulfury taste of a Brussels sprout? Our daughter, actually, always used to really dislike Brussels sprouts. So, again, we always used to hide them on her plate. She would have to play hunt the sprout. Now, actually, she really enjoys them because we try different ways of cooking them. If you look back at how the Victorians used to cook Brussels sprouts, they actually used to Cook them for about 14 to 15 minutes, really rather overstewed and not surprisingly quite cabbagey, sulfury like and not very pleasant. Now it suggested you should just cook them for six to eight minutes or steam them anywhere between five to ten minutes, depending on the size of your sprout. One of the early recipes for Brussels sprouts was in Eliza Acton's book Modern Cookery of 1845. She suggested the Belgian style of coconut. Coating them in a buttery sauce or tossing them in butter with veal gravy or even boiling them in salty water and serving them on buttered bread with melted butter on the side. She loved her Brussels sprouts because she talks about them very poetically. She says these delicate little sprouts or miniature cabbages should be gathered when not larger than a common walnut and after being trimmed free from any decayed leaves and washed very thoroughly should be thrown into a pan of water properly salted and boiled from 8 to 10 minutes. Rich melted butter must be sent to the table with them. This is the Belgian mode of dressing this excellent vegetable, which is served in France with a sauce poured over it. So, in fact, she very sensibly didn't suggest cooking the Brussels sprouts for very long. However, the overboiled Brussels sprout also sadly has a companion in a 1970s recipe that I've come across, which said that you should cook your Brussels sprouts well, puree them, mix them with mashed potato, cream, butter, and an egg and some nutmeg, shape into a ring mould or into a basin shape and then bake them in the oven in a bain-marie for 45 minutes. And it suggested that in winter time, this makes a welcome change from the usual vegetable dishes. This really did not look very pleasant. I'd rather have my Brussels sprouts cooked very lightly and mixed with some cooked chestnut or, as we've taken to doing them recently, slicing them very thinly and stir frying them quickly with some pancetta because Brussels sprouts are in fact very healthy. They are high in vitamin C and vitamin A and they actually don't have any fat in them, which is why you can add a fatty accompaniment to go with your Brussels sprout. So those people who really don't like Brussels sprouts, who've got taste buds that are genetically programmed against them, there are other suggestions. Cutting across is traditional, supposedly, to do in the bottom of a Brussels sprout. The reason for that is so that the water can penetrate more easily, cook them quicker and remove some of the sulfury taste which tends to gather in the stem area. Other people suggest cutting out the stem. Other suggestions are to cut the Brussels sprouts in half so that they cook more quickly or to soak them for 15 minutes in cold water. So it's worth experimenting with your Brussels sprouts to work out which way do you really like them well i'm sorry i'm definitely going to be having brussels sprouts for my christmas dinner i hope you are too
5: thank you sue That idea of the victorians boiling sprouts for about quarter of an hour was pretty slow to die but thank goodness it did Uh, there are so many other ways of enjoying sprouts as we'll hear from rosie sykes after this news break
0: yes more news now Thorn Wines will be delivering up to the last minute in Cambridge. The last order is 23rd of December at midday. The date for national deliveries has now passed.
3: The Finboys' last order date for Christmas has passed, but for the new year, the last order is the 22nd of December, and that is for delivery on New Year's Eve. So you order via Clickit Local, and if you're outside of the Clickit area, contact the Finboys and they'll see what they can do.
5: There's a new stockist of Orison Sons sauces. You can now get them at the Old Bridge wine shop in Huntingdon. And David Underwood has recently posted a superb-sounding recipe for one of his sauces with pigs in blankets and we'll be hearing from David in a few minutes.
0: Gourmandise is not able to take any more orders for Christmas now. She is fully booked. But if you want to order bagels for Christmas, Alex is happy to oblige. Email him at bagelbox.
3: Poudini in Willingham is delivering a Christmas Eve menu locally. Uh, that means the villages around Willingham between 5pm and 8pm on the 24th of December. And you can order by calling 01954 263028 or you can email info at pudini.co.uk. Poudini is spelled P U D D I N I.co.uk.
5: Last orders from Shelford Deli for Christmas are today, Saturday, though you can pop in next week if you need to. Their cheese-tasting notes are online.
0: Gorilla Kitchen is delivering a night-before-Christmas bow kit. It will be delivered by Click It Local on 23rd December and you refrigerate it for use on the 24th.
3: And meals from Little Petra in Mill Road can now be delivered by the cyclists of Foodstuff.
5: If you prefer to eat in, Parker's Tavern has some substantial pub classics on the menu, including scampion chips, a festive basket of pigs in blankets, and a squashage roll with sprouts and chestnuts. And by the way, their New Year's Eve menu is available on the Parker's Tavern website too, and bookings are being taken now. And it's one of those menus where it's so difficult to choose because all the items sound utterly wonderful. The Oak Bistro in Lensfield Road
0: is, for the first time ever, serving a festive lunch between the 27th to the 30th of December. You can book it through their website.
3: And finally, for this new section, for people who just want to go to a cafe but feel more comfortable sitting outside rather than in, our next break will feature a list of places where you can do just that.
5: Now, back to sprouts. I met local chef Rosie Sykes to get some ideas from her about how to cook them. Uh, Because of Covid, we're not recording our interviews in the Cambridge 105 radio studios anymore, so Rosie and I met in the garden of the Cambridge Union Society building, reasonably far away from the traffic, but as it turned out, not far away enough from low-flying aeroplanes. Rosie, it's the sprout season. Uh, Not everybody's favourite vegetable, but... uh There are nicer ways of cooking it than simply boiling it to death, aren't there?
4: It's quite fashionable these days, Alan, to shred them, put them through. You could do it on your food processor, which makes it a bit less of a labour of love. Or I've even seen people um, grating them, which I think is quite dangerous for your fingers. But once you've got a nice little sort of confetti of sprout bits, um, give them a nice salt and leave them for an hour and they'll kind of soften a bit and then they're really delicious with things like clementines some sliced fennel sliced red onion you know you can make a sort of lovely slaw maybe with a bit of sherry vinegar or a yogurty dressing would be really lovely the other thing that i think really suits sprouts is a good fast roasting as you know i've written a book about roasting pans get your pan nice and hot you could do it with duck fat if you're into duck fat, or a nut oil, or or just regular light olive oil. Get some oil really nice and hot in a pan in the oven. I would counsel slicing your sprouts in half, just so that they get cooked a bit quicker. Then, when the oil's nice and hot in the oven, a good a good dousing of oil. Throw the sprouts in, and they should make lots of lovely noises. Salt and pepper, or salt and chili flakes. Maybe a squeeze of lemon. Or one of my favorite things is save any lemon shells that you've squeezed the lemon from. Chop them really finely. Put them in with the sprouts. And in fact, I was at a friend's house the other not- night. He's in my bubble, by the way, everybody. <laughs> and um, he, he had done that. And then just at the end, when he brought them out and they were all roasted and a little bit caramelized, He put a spoonful of harissa with them, and that was very delicious, I must say. Right. Sorry,
5: just one question. When you roast sprouts in the oven, how long for a prop? I mean, I know sprouts are different sizes, but...
4: I would say um, about 12 minutes. So go for five, six, then give them a really good shake. Have a little look at how they're looking, uh, and go back in for at least another five And again, a nice high oven, so 200 I would go for. But I, you know, I've been known to steam them and then toss them with some bacon or chestnuts, which is quite classic, really, but just peps it up a little bit. I think there definitely are many things you can do more than just giving them a boil. I think you could treat them, you can braise them as well is a really nice thing. Again, cutting in half, because I just think little bobbing round whole sprouts doesn't really work with the braise. In fact whole sprouts mm, I think the only way they do work is if you boil or steam them and then add other things to them but if you wanted to braise them you could sweat down an onion or a leek or a spring onion maybe some garlic whatever spices you fancy I think all spices really nice with sprouts actually add in your sprouts give them a good toss around get everything getting to know each other with a lovely bit of salt add some stock uh, and then maybe a bit of vinegar let that disappear add some stock just to cover the sprouts and leave them to cook slowly and they won't be that vibrant green anymore they'll probably be a bit more sort of muted in colour a bit sort of maybe dare I say school dinnery colour but I don't don't think there's anything wrong with that and then at the end maybe add some chopped parsley or chopped mints depending on what flavours you've chosen to go with them really and one last thing a a real favourite of mine at the moment is um, making a bulgar pilaf and the sprouts go really well in there. The bulgur wheat doesn't take long to cook at all, so it's really fantastic. So again, start with some onions and some butter. I usually do it with spring onions. Let the spring onions go a bit with a bit of garlic. Add the half sprouts. I would shred shredded sprouts for this. Then add some bulgur wheat, say 200 grams of bulgur wheat. Get that all mixed together. Add about 375 mils of stock. Bring it up to a nice busy boil. Put a lid on and lower it a tiny bit, but you want it to be, here. it boiling, like boiling, not simmering, boiling. Leave that for five minutes. Turn the heat down to the lowest you can. Leave it for another five minutes. Lift the lid off. Add some, I normally add some walnuts, uh, some parsley, a squeeze of lemon juice. Stir it a bit. Put the lid back on another five minutes. And that's it. And that is delicious with, you know, fresh cheese or as a side dish to your leftover ham or turkey it's just a really delicious thing and you can eat it cold as well it's really nice cold so so it's a dish you can prepare in advance and then bring out at any moment Mm. any given moment
5: what what are you having for christmas dinner have you decided
4: um well i am having a foss meadow chicken which um, my accountant describes as the gucci of all chickens because they, they're the most beautiful. They're from Leicestershire. They're wonderful chickens. And I'm going to buttermilk brine it. So basically, I sort of make a brine, but not as salty as a regular brine, with buttermilk that you let down because buttermilk can be quite thick. So you want it nice, thin, like milk. And then I put loads of lemon, garlic, herbs, loads of sage in there. Leave the chicken in it for 24 hours. And it just comes up beautifully moist and the brine you can keep and use a couple of times as well so it's really handy you
5: you brine it and then then what do you do you
4: lift it out leave it to sit so it loses all the liquid that it's been sitting in and that you obviously don't need to put salt on it before you put it in the oven i put a bit of oil on it or some butter or fat and then roast it as you would regularly so well i always do high to start and then down to low and also, I, don't, I never do chicken, especially a brined bird, for as long as you think you need to because it's going to sit in a warm place to rest and it will always continue cooking. Yes, that's what I'm going to have, I think.
5: With sprouts?
4: Yes, definitely sprouts. <laughs> definitely.
5: <laughs> thanks very much.
0: Many thanks to Rosie Sykes and what an interesting-sounding Christmas dinner. We'll be back after the break with David Underwood and his hot sauces. Celebrate Christmas with Cambridge 105 Radio. Lee Chambers hears the Alan Brigham story.
4: On his tours, you know, the things he would talk about, he would be lecturing you on socialism and equality, but you wouldn't really know about it because he had such a brilliant way of being able to talk to people.
0: Live in La Vida Lockdown with Trevor Dan.
7: It's been a year of lockdowns, letdowns, clampdowns, and backdowns. But we'll be here to brighten things up and cheer you up, we hope, with some reflections on the upsides of 2020 from the team at Cambridge 105 Radio and the We Are Sound Christmas Cocktail.
4: We'll be bringing you covers of brilliant tracks by bands like Coldplay, Vance Joy, Mumford & Sons and Paloma Faith.
0: Wishing you a very Merry Christmas from everyone at Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to the Flavour Christmas Special and let's continue with our Christmas foods by moving on to hot sauces. Oris and Sun have just brought out three which would go well with cold meat and many other things too.
5: Yes, Orison's son is run by David Underwood, who used to work in the Michelin-starred restaurant Arbutus in Soho, of which Jay Rayner in The Observer said, And at the end, I confess, I was very tipsy on pleasure. And then he worked at Alimentum in Cambridge before joining Leo Ritoff, also ex Alimentum, at stake and honour. David and I met, not in a restaurant or in a kitchen, but on a rather damp football field in Trumpington. Such is the glamour of food journalism. I asked him why hot sauces. Isn't it a crowded area? But first, about his
1: time at Alimentum.
5: You worked in Cambridge as well?
1: Worked in Cambridge at uh, Alimentum, which was, yet yeah, again, fun really fun working with um yeah working in kind of a small team but ultimately you know striving for something really important in terms of I guess accolades at Alimentum it was sort of chasing a Michelin star which of course it got it was a very a very cool place to work for quite a while Right and there you met Leo. Yeah we we worked together in that kitchen and yeah absolutely it was a friendship that sort of blossomed into burgers and <laughs> and uh, yeah those burgers are still just as good as they as they were when um, at the at the outset this such a fantastic product.
5: Right so for somebody with your sort of background which is a you know a pretty impressive background hmm. it's a big thing to move out of the kitchen isn't it
1: well I I think it is I mean it was just an important I think it was an it was a reassessment of what was important in my life really um as I say it was a lot it was a lockdown that kind of gave me a little bit more time to think and a little bit more I guess purpose to to go out and do something else so yeah sort of stepping away from working in a kitchen on a daily on a daily basis to kind of overseeing a project from you know from kind of yeah on a a brand level as well has been really enjoyable so far and hopefully there'll be other products to come
5: oh well uh, right hot sauces you're entering a crowded field so yours you must be very confident about yours
1: well i think yeah it's the the product ultimately does sing i mean there i think there are kind of uh, two different sort of Sort of, I guess, factions in the in the hot sauce world. There are the people who love it really, really, really spicy, and sort of want to almost blow their brains out. And then there are the people who really enjoy chili and what it can bring to dishes, or you know, something as humble as a sandwich or something, meat, fish, whatever type of cookery. And there's, and I'm definitely of that kind of uh, the the latter. I really enjoy what chili can do, and and how it can sort of help express itself sort of and meld with other flavors to kind of give yeah to just on just on a flavor level i think that's fascinating and yeah i mean it is a crowded marketplace but not everyone's fermenting their chilies and i've sort of tried to go for try to encapsulate flavors that i'm very fond of and also sort of there's a kind of provenance driven journey behind the the sort of the name of the brand and sort of I guess my use of nettles, and yeah, I just it's, it's going to be an exciting journey, but I hope to develop other products alongside them um in twenty twenty
5: one well well that's really worth looking forward to. There must have been a lot of thought gone into those sources I mean that you know there's things like the long fermentations mm. and just the what's in them as well so did it take a long time or is your knowledge sort of such that you pretty know what well what's mm. going to work
1: yeah well i think I think any any cook who's been in the industry for as long as I have, and sort of maybe has, has taken it sort of. Certainly, I've taken taken flavour and and balancing flavours very seriously on, in my career so far. So it has been. Uh, I mean, it, there were there are things that naturally sit alongside each other and sort of play off each other, and you know, I guess I guess are more than the sum of their parts. So it was just a, I guess a yeah, just a, a process of not doing anything particularly outlandish these are flavours that I know work together I've used them before they are largely certainly in my head were tried and tested
5: and how how do you use them what
1: their applications can be for any anything I throw them onto sort of let's say peanut butter on toast or a cream cheese bagel or something like that just to take something very simple and just yet and just lift it or they can be applied during cooking in cooking kind of as a marinade you know when the kind of when people start kind of cranking up their barbecues sometime next year as well so they may be doing it right now you know and the outdoor cookery vibes a lot of a lot of the processes will kind of will come really sort of come into their own um, be it in as i say in the marinating during the process brushing it on as food grills I'm looking really looking forward to seeing how people use them.
5: Yeah, well, uh, on your website, you have got some recipes which obviously incorporate the sauces. Is there a generalisation you can make? Does one of the sauces go with a particular sort of ingredient?
1: I think they're all really versatile. But, I mean, for example, the My Wave is a, is a sort of a piri-piri style sauce. So it has kind of flavour profiles, salty, spicy, kind of lemon, bay leaf, garlic, so just brushing that onto a piece of a piece of fish or a chicken on as it's as it's grilling is nice. If you've got a good extraction fan in your house, that helps. But also, you know, and that will just that will just lift it and hopefully take take that cooking to another place. It's about it's an it's it's about easy wins in kitchens. I've kind of d- haven't designed these sauces for everybody, but they are for people who live who live very busy lives who kind of just want that uh, something reliable in their store cupboard. They can gain that easy win from. Um, so fingers crossed yeah they'll they'll find they'll find these these sauces really useful i think the fresh tendrils is a really is a really different type of kind of chili sauce not overly spicy but has got this really nice big tang um to it it's kind of jalapeno and nettle based so that's the green version and it is yeah delicious just Add a you know a teaspoonful to a, to a dressing, and it will just yeah. just take things to another yeah. level.
5: I must say the colours look good, and the bottles look good as well. They're really nicely designed, very yeah. attractive. Where can we buy them from?
1: Um, they're currently stocked in a few places in Cambridge. There's Meadows, great shop in Newnham. Uh, there is Burwash Larder, Malloy's Craft Butchery. Uh, they can be bought at Stir Bakery i'd love i'd love to get love to get them into more more places and hopefully they'll just sort of filter out into kind of into the ether if you're over over in saffron walden you can find them at sparrow's end which is a great new farm shop just um towards newport and yeah I, i just think they'll they'll fit really nicely into people's kind of into people's day-to-day repertoire um, i'm looking forward to seeing how people are going to use them because it's going to be a fascinating journey
5: they'll probably have some outings on cold meat on boxing day actually
1: <laughs> it would be great absolutely yeah if you've kind of had a, maybe enough of cranberry sauce on christmas day then get the uh, get my wave out on uh, on boxing day
3: <laughs> so there's a good recommendation oris and sun hot sauces on boxing day
5: Yeah, a very good recommendation. Yes, I've tried all three of the sauces and they are very good indeed and quite different from each other in flavour and in heat too and lovely to experiment with. Uh, And David's right, it really does lift food. Here's where we bring you details of free food, available now, in and around Cambridge, and the information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which is free to download.
3: Yeah, some examples of what's been recently available locally on the Olio app include porridge oats, packs of Warburton's bagels, Tesco hummus, plenty of items from Pret-a-Manger, marshmallows, vegetable stock, sprouts, bananas, mushrooms, celery and apples.
5: And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, because they change each day, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of being binned at the end of the day's trading. Uh, Recent items include a variety of fresh baked goods from the Cambridge Oven in Hills Road, breakfast items from the Ibis Hotel by Cambridge Station, uh, a drinks bag from Revolution in Downing Street, and the items in that one were reduced from £12 to £4, and a fresh, authentic Chinese meal from Kimoy in Burley Street in Cambridge.
0: In our final hunt for good advice for Christmas meals, Alan spoke with local wine expert Tom Lewis. If you're interested, this recording was done in the Mill Road Cemetery.
6: Well, starting with the main course, I think um, the principle I would I would apply is the older, the darker, and the gamier the meat, the older, the darker, and gamier the wine you're going to want to have with it. So yeah, that, sounds,
5: you... that sounds very sensible.
6: <laughs> so I'll, I'll do what I normally do at home, which is I'll start with the wine, and then I'll think about what, what's, what's the best food to go with it. Um, so if you're having something like a white burgundy or, or an oak chardonnay, that's going to match really well with chicken with turkey with pork with with white meat right you said oaked shagden yes it?
5: that's an important consideration
6: the oaking it tends to be slightly bigger wines, slightly more food friendly wines um, if it's unoaked, it's going to be a bit fresher it's going to be more of an aperitif so you want a little bit of oak in there to give you some savouriness that, that's going to make it more of a food wine right um, and the warmer the climate probably the more oaking you're going to get so if you're having lots of sweet sauces or glazes uh, with your food then, then go for something like California or a warm part of Australia another wine that's that's oaked uh, and, and will do well is white Bordeaux uh, when it's done in that sort of savoury style which tends to be the more ambitious whites from that area
5: what about the age then of, of the white Bordeaux would you be going for an older one there?
6: again as as wines get older they get a little bit more savory so that with food matching tends to mean longer cooking time so if you're having something like pulled pork or or very long roasted food then an older wine is going to have the savouriness that's going to match that if if you're going to do a quick cooking then you want something a little bit younger and fresher with a bit more fruit oh right If you're thinking about Pinot Noir, that's going to match really well with something like duck. Um, it'll also go well with chicken and turkey. It's a very versatile wine. Um, Red Burgundy is, is the obvious place to start um, for a Pinot Noir, but don't forget Australia, New Zealand, Germany, Alsace, lots of places do a Pinot Noir. Uh, and outside of Burgundy, you'll probably get more wine for your money. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a price premium.
5: Because a good Burgundy is a pricey Burgundy, it? It, it? It,
6: it certainly is. <laughs> If you want red fruits and freshness, alternatives to this would be something like a, a Beaujolais crew from one of the better villages or a Loire red. You'll get lots of freshness, lots of red fruit that they'll work really well with duck. Right, what
5: are the best better villages?
6: Oh, uh, the better villages, um, Bruy is a nice one, Juliana. All any of the named villages will 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 be the next step up uh, in terms of, of quality. So just look for the name of of one of those ten crew villages on the label, uh, and you'll get you'll be getting a slightly better wine, slightly more aging potential, a little bit more savouriness, more food friendliness. If you if you're wanting to have Bordeaux, then you're basically looking at sort of Cabernet Merlot type wines roast beef is a classic match for those and cabernet and beef particularly because cabernet's got a lot of tannin in, uh, and that works well with the the high protein content in beef it's a really good match Mm. Um, another classic match is uh, Rioja with lamb, somehow they just work really well together and for me there's something about garlic and rosemary lamb with Rioja, that's that's my my match made in heaven Um, similar sort of style to that is a a roan Uh, you're getting a bit more ripeness and a bit more spice, um, so that could be an alternative to Rioja to have have with your lamb. If you're having goose, that's quite a a tricky match because it's a very fatty bird, Uh, it's white meat, so I, I think the best thing to match with that would be something like a Riesling but because it's going to have the acidity to cut through the fattiness, the richness of the goose. Um, but do make sure it's got the body to stand up to um, to the food. So, unlike a Moselle Riesling, which is below 10% alcohol, you're looking for a higher alcohol content. You know, so anything north of 12% should be a good food match.
5: Okay, right. And what what about? Uh
6: desserts what if you're
5: having a christmas pudding or mince pie something like that my
6: my favorite part of the meal (laughs) (laughs) again the principle here is that the wine needs to be sweeter than the food if it isn't then the sweetness of the food is going to make the wine taste awfully acidic so so the wine needs to be a bit sweeter i would go for sweet sherry one of the sweeter styles of madeira or even whiskey whiskey with mince pies christmas pudding um, it's got the strength and the flavour to, to stand up to, to sweet foods. Nice.
5: But I don't think of whiskey as being sweet. It's
6: not. <laughs> I that's the exception that proves the rule. It does <laughs> right. work. Yeah, so whiskey, it works well. It, it is actually very versatile. It'll work with chocolate, with Christmas pudding. Yeah, it, it works despite not having the sweetness. God, I'm
5: looking forward to Christmas even more now. Right,
6: what about cheese? wines to match with cheese Tawny Port is a, a classic match for hard yellow cheeses so a mature cheddar or a manchego and the thing with Tawny is it's aged in barrel for 10, 20, 30 years so it loses a lot of that sort of red fruit character and what you're left with is sort of the acidity that freshness mm. uh, that's going to cut through the cheese um, so Tawny with those also if you're looking Sherry is a great cheese match if you go for the darker, drier style so a Amontillado Oloroso Palo Cotado uh, again you 'll get the sort of the freshness uh, that 's going to cut through the cheese right. um, bec- again, coming back to the other principle of you know older wines with older foods, darker sherries are aged a little bit longer they 're a little bit more savory, so you 're looking for sort of a mature um, a mature cheddar or a mature manchego or something like that.
5: But let's go back to the very beginning, actually. Okay. And uh, aperitifs. What would you What would you have there? Fizz. I mean,
6: fizz. It's, it's got to be fizz, hasn't it? That's That's got to <laughs> be the first one on the list. And and think. Be, you know, champagne's the obvious one. But beyond there, um, you can get cremons from all over France. That will be. You know, just as good in in a slightly different style. So Loire, Burgundy, even Bordeaux will all do some type of fizz. It's made in the traditional method, and they may have a little bit more fruit ripeness. They might be slightly easier drinking than a champagne, but you'll definitely get more for your money uh, if you mm. look beyond uh, beyond champagne alternatives. If you want to do something slightly different, Cambridge Gin that would be a great uh, a great aperitif. Um, mature Mosel Riesling, um, a, a nice one of those will have uh, lots of freshness it'll it'll just sort of get your palate ready for for a really good meal they're not food wines um so they're perfect aperitifs or fino sherry same thing just freshen up your palate um and and sort of get you ready for for what's to come i mean this christmas is a
5: particularly important one i suppose because families are going to be able to get together for the yeah. first time in a lot of places uh, first time for a long time people going to want to make it good aren't they so maybe going to a good wine merchant but if, you if you're not really confident about wine I think one of the things, one of the reasons people buy wine from supermarkets is you can just
6: pick it off a shelf and you know, yeah. but if you're going to a wine merchant I think people are slightly more nervous. I think it can be intimidating to go to a wine merchant for the first time and, and so there, there are a couple of questions that you can always go to to, to sort of help you navigate um, and, and find out what is going to be the right wine for you the starting point is set your budget. So, you know, decide what, what you're prepared to spend and, and what you think is a sensible amount. Um, the wine merchants, the independents, generally don't do much below 7 or £8. Pounds. So, you know, you're going to be spending at least that, and if it's a, a special occasion, you know, be prepared to go a little bit higher. Generally, you'll get a lot more quality for your money as as you go up. The other thing to remember is classic wines will carry a bit of a price premium. So if you're looking for... Champagne, Bordeaux, Burgundy—you'll um, pay a, f- a couple of extra pounds just for the name. There might be alternatives from lookalikes from elsewhere in the world, and they'd uh, advise you th- th- exactly yeah. that. And in terms of the advice, if you want advice, plan on going at a time when th- the shop is going to be a little bit quieter. You know, if you, if you go on sort of a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> uh, you, you may struggle to get someone's full attention. Whereas if you, if you go on, a, you know, if you, you're able to get out and, and go on a weekday morning, chances are it'll be relatively quiet and, and you, you'll have the opportunity for a chat. And, and the thing to always ask, once you've set your sort of, you know, this is what I'm eating or this is the occasion and, and this is kind of my budget, um, is, you know, either what, what's a staff favourite or what's popular? You know, the wisdom of crowds does, does apply here. And if you're looking for, you know, a good type of wine, you know you know, if you if you set your parameters, then then you know the the role of the independent will, will they'll want to help you get to something that you're going to enjoy.
5: Yeah. Oh that's
6: great. That's really useful, Tom.
3: Great advice there from Tom Lewis. And we have so many good local wine merchants here in the Cambridge area, all keen to offer good, knowledgeable advice. And don't forget the online ones as well. Places like Thorn Wines, for example, one of Vandel's suppliers. And vine and cork. Food-wise, uh, a... Well... Mm. Uh, 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 to err is human.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so we... Um, oh, sorry again, sorry. Um, <laughs> um,
3: but good food is divine.
4: Um... Um... Uh,
5: um
3: yeah. <laughs> so listen to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio.
5: We'll put the heating on as well. We've got nice fairy
1: lights.
5: More news now. And here's our rundown of where you can eat and drink outside. Uh, Some of this information has come from the readers of nextdoor.co.uk and some from our own hungry, Covid-cautious researchers.
0: You can eat and drink outside at Hot Numbers in Trumpington Street and at their roastery in Shepreth, the Flock Cafe and Burwash Manor in Barton, Provenance Kitchen in Whittlesford, both Thrive and the Box Cafe in Norfolk Street, the Cambridge Cookery School in Purbeck Road off Hills Road, and Thirsty on Chesterton Road.
3: Outdoor eating and drinking is also easy at The Locker and Stem and Glory, both in King Street. Five Blends Coffee House and Damas Bridge Cafe are in Mill Road, where you can also enjoy Syrian cuisine. And at the other end of Mill Road, you can sit outside the Edge Cafe, In the centre of town there's Ball Brothers in Round Church Street, Fitzbillies in Bridge Street and Café Foy on the quayside which has tables by the river.
5: There are a lot of benches to sit on around Cambridge's Market Square and a lot of hot food and coffee stalls there too. In King's Parade there's outdoor seating at Bennett's, the Cambridge Chop House and the Copper Kettle. Dolcedo in Eddington has seating outside and so does the kiosk at Drummer Street bus station.
0: Milton Country Park Cafe is open, and so is Crofter's on Lemusland. So, plenty to choose from. And if you want to add to the list, do send a message via email, flavour at cambridge105.co.uk, or via Twitter or Instagram at
3: flavour105. And so we move on to our final feature. Here are some of today's contributors with what they'll be having for Christmas dinner. And first up, it's The Guardian's Felicity Cloak.
2: Um, So we have turkey, we have, you know, all the usual things. Um, We always have fish on Christmas Eve. Um, That's a big thing. But as more people have joined the family, you get different traditions sort of mashed in. So now we have spiced red cabbage as well. Um, And my sister's mother-in-law, they're all up in Scotland. Um, She will always bring, now it's become a tradition, she makes an amazing prawn cocktail. It's just so deliciously retro. It's got brandy in it Mm -hmm. and green... Pepper very finely diced. Oh, so delicious. So she brings that and she brings Nigella's blueberry and amaretti trifle. And I'm quite a traditionalist. I love trifle. I'm quite a traditionalist. And so I was sceptical, but oh my word, it is incredibly delicious. Um, so those things have added, but in general, we, we stick with the tradition. We don't, You know, I would like one day to have a goose, I'd love to have a rib of beef, as long as everything has to have bread sauce. Fair enough, I did once spend Christmas with um, my boyfriend's uh, parents and they cooked brilliantly, but I realised on Christmas Day there was going to be no bread sauce and I actually made bread sauce just for myself because no one else wanted it. Well done. It won't be Christmas, it won't be Christmas. His (laughs) mum was very nice about me using all the bread for the next day's breakfast. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well... But a bread
0: sauce, you've got just oh, got to yeah, have it. Exactly, you've just have I it. ate the whole yeah. dish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for the pleasure. and I hope you have a fantastic Christmas. Thank you,
2: thank, thank you. you,
3: thank you. Next up, it's David Underwood.
1: Uh, I Have a very small family, but yeah, we'll be we'll be seven on Christmas Day, and um, that's a nice number to cook for, really, because it's it's either a medium turkey or a large chicken stuffing. Yeah, all the traditional trimmings. Just you know, I'll, I'll start. I'll I'll make my pickled red cabbage in a day or two for christmas day just kind of you know let that kind of gestate and you know develop flavors when you've done sort of christmases in the hospitality trade uh, this year may well be an exception to that rule but when you have done as many christmases as i have it's it's just nice not to have to cook for hundreds and hundreds of people the same thing but just like make sure that it's done properly for as it will be seven
3: here's our foraging chef steve thompson
6: so, it's, it's a standard routine for me every year. We always go from a nice
7: braised lamb leg, and then the standard accompaniment is roast potatoes, fresh yorkshire puddings, of course, um, some honey roasted carrots, maybe, some parsnips, and then we might throw another few vegetables in there.
0: And what about Brussels sprouts? Do you love them or hate them?
6: I love Brussels sprouts, personally. I think, I think I'll eat them all year round. And finally, wine specialist Tom Lewis. What am I going to eat for Christmas? I think we'll probably go for chicken, because we're having just a family Christmas, so we, we don't need the volume of, of something like a, a turkey, so it's, it's got to be manageable. Many years ago, I bought uh, some relatively inexpensive red Bordeaux from Cambridge Wine Merchants. It's now coming up to 15 years old, and I've got a couple of bottles left. So, so I think after, after the year we've had, this, this might be the time to dig out the last of, of the bottles of, of the red Bordeaux of, of 15 years old and, and, and see how that's doing now.
5: Gosh,
3: right, well, that's something to look forward to. Great, thanks, Tom.
6: Okay. And
3: that was the Christmas dinner choices of The Guardian's Felicity Cloak, David Underwood, Foraging Chef Steve Thompson, and Wine Specialist Tom Lewis.
5: A final bit of news now. If you're a frequenter of Cambridge's Sunday Market, most, if not all, of the traders have their last day of the year tomorrow. Uh, Certainly, Simon's Vegetable Stall. The Hawthorne Farm Stall and Brownfield Farm Stalls won't be there on the 27th of December, and probably nobody else will be either.
0: On the daily market, Emerald Foods will be there on Monday to Thursday next week. They're not normally there on a Monday, and they'll reopen after Christmas on Tuesday, the 29th December. <laughs>
3: Ah, the wonderful and familiar sound of green onions by Booker T and the MGs, and that signals the start of our jobs section. Prana
5: in Mill Road wants a tandoori chef.
0: A breakfast chef is needed at the
3: Bridge Street branch of Fitzbillies. Gourmet Burger Kitchen in Regent Street is looking for a grill chef.
5: And a chef is needed at Sticks and Sushi in Wheeler Street. Pizza Express
0: in Cambridge needs a pizza chef.
5: Uh, and finally for today, and for this year in fact, a head chef and kitchen manager is needed at Alex Rushmer's old place, The Hole in the Wall, in Little Wilbraham. Uh, to apply for these jobs, pop into the places concerned or check out their website.
3: And that is all the time we have for today. We've enjoyed doing our Christmas special and we hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Don't forget that we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12pm, repeated on Sundays at 2pm, and then again on Mondays at 6pm. And there is also the podcast, which will be available early next week. Coming
5: up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1 o'clock is Ollie Slack with a preview of this afternoon's local football action. At 2pm, Linda Ness and Susie Thorpe will be here to present Women Making Waves. Uh, and don't miss Cambridge 105 Radio's Christmas Day programmes, too. Uh, they include, at 10 o'clock, Tony Barnfield with the Vicar of Granchester, At 11, the Cambridge Mayor's Show, in which the Mayor chooses, chooses his favourite music and chats to Lucy Milazzo. Uh, and at 2 o'clock, the Alan Brigham Story, a tribute to the local historian, tour guide, street sweeper and good bloke by Lee Chambers. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 2nd of January with our look back at 2020. But until then, happy Christmas and goodbye. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye.